Amen. He is king over all the earth and is our defender. That song challenged us to do something, though. It said, call upon the name of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in a situation that you like, I'm here, Pastor Calvin, but I feel pretty hopeless. There, I'm at war. There's a battle going on in my life or in my family's life, and not everything on the outside, as it appears, is necessarily how I feel on the inside. But as we start this portion of the service, and we're going to call on the name of the Lord. Will you pray for me that God will help turn my hopeless situation into victory for His glory and for His name's sake? So if you're here this morning, you just say, would you please pray for me? I am in a battle, and it feels very hopeless. Thank you. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we just sang. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these who you know, you see, you know exactly what they're going through. And we've been challenged and encouraged through our worship to call upon the name of the Lord. So we do that right now. God, our defender, our king who reigns forever, would you intervene in the situations of these people's lives that they experience? And I pray that through the gathering of worship this morning, through the hearing of your word, through remembering and celebrating what Christ has done for us, that we can call upon the name of the Lord. I pray that you would lift the burdens that these people have brought in this morning. I pray that you would lift them as they lay them at your feet. And I pray that you would bring peace and I pray that you would work out the details in their lives so that when they leave this morning, what they came in feeling hopeless, they will leave feeling hopeful because of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, because of our focus on Remembrance Day Sunday, we're going to actually depart from our series in the book of Acts for one week. And we're going to head back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, where we are going to look at a song a song of freedom, directed by the Holy Spirit, written by Moses, and sung by everyone. Now, I'm sure most of us are familiar with the saying, I've got your back. Well, today we will see in God's Word how the Lord literally had His people's back when He provided safe passage for them to get out of Egypt, where they had been enslaved for over 400 years, and were being held hostage by Pharaoh. Lots of interesting words that are similar to what we hear on the news today, isn't it? Ten plagues later, with the last plague bringing death to every Egyptian household, including his own, Pharaoh finally relents. He summoned Moses and Aaron and told them, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. But if you're familiar and if you attended Sunday school, no sooner had God's people left than Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They had one of those aha moments. And as soon as they realized that they were losing their slave labor force, they said, we got to go after them. And so Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and took his army, 600 of the best chariots, as well as all the other chariots in Egypt, and pursued the Israelites who were marching out on the way to freedom. Listen to how Moses describes those final terrifying moments on their way out. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Setting the scene, we will read from verse 10 to verse 31 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Listen closely. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind him. God has our back. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back and with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. Why? The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. A hopeless situation that turned into a glorious victory. So what was the first thing they did after personally witnessing God fight for them? They sang. Yeah, they sang to the Lord. With their enemies drowned and their freedom secure, the people of Israel burst into song and praised the Lord. Everyone was singing because everyone had personally experienced being rescued. This is why every believer should sing to the Lord. Not because you or I necessarily have good voices or some people in our church do. Not all of us do. But that's not why we shouldn't sing. We should sing because of who God is and what he has done for us. Folks, singing is what saved people do. If you come to church and you don't sing, that's a problem. Singing is what saved people do. Praise should be the natural response from anyone who has experienced God's saving grace. Amen? And so in Exodus chapter 15, 
Verses 1 to 21, we have the lyrics of the first song in the Bible. Maybe you're wondering what was the number one on the Exodus hit parade during those days. We're going to look at it today. I've titled it A Song of Freedom, directed by the Holy Spirit, written by Moses, and sung by all the people. As worship songs often do, my prayer this morning is that the lyrics of the song will encourage us. This Remembrance Day Sunday, to remember that the Lord is fighting for us. We only need to be still. Let's look at the lyrics of the Song of Freedom. Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. There are four stanzas. I'm not a music guy, so I learned a bit about music this week. But there are four stanzas, and each of them focus on a different aspect of our great God. Verse 1 to 5, stanza 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength, my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. I tried to find the music to the song and I thought maybe I could sing the sermon to you today, but I couldn't find it. So you'll just have to hear me tell you about it. Point number one, victory belongs to the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is exalted. Why is he exalted? Because of the victory he provided for his people. Both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea. Now I want us to notice two important things before highlighting the glory that God deserves because victory belongs to him. First, did you notice that Moses and the Israelites start singing in the first person? Their song is a statement of personal testimony. Everyone effectively personalized the community's song and each person celebrated the Lord's victory declaring who he was and what he was to them. So as we come together on Sunday mornings to open our mouths and to sing, we not only sing corporately but we should all be singing personally as a statement of testimony to who God is and what he is to each one of us. They had all come to know the personal reality of a God who was the source of strength, song, and victory. They were all personally involved. Secondly, their praise was directed to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, Yahweh. Ten times his name is mentioned in this song as the people not only sang to the Lord, but also sang about the Lord. You see, true worship involves faithful witness to who God is. What do we learn from this first five verses? He is Lord. Not only that though, He is my strength, my defense, my salvation, my God, my Father's God, as Moses said, indicating the covenant-keeping God who demonstrated His power and glory in the past and continued that day for them and continues to do that for us today. Do you know this God personally? Do you know, Lord, is He your defense? Is He your salvation? Is He your God? Because He is a personal God. 
I will praise and exalt him for who he is to me. Each of the Israelites had seen the Lord act on his and her behalf and, and claimed him as his or her own. Victory belongs to the Lord. That is why all praise is directed to the Lord. And it is to be personal. All praise is directed to the Lord and it is to be personal. And then we see in verse 3, the Israelites declare that the Lord is not only their defense personally or their salvation personally, but he is a warrior. A warrior. I had the privilege growing up in Africa of seeing different Maasai warriors. And they are respected and held in high regard amongst their people group. Here we see that God, our God, my defense, my salvation is a warrior. So if you put your hand up today and said, I'm in a hopeless situation, God, who you know personally, is a warrior. Victory belongs to the Lord because the Lord is a warrior. He defends his own. If you don't belong to God, you are fighting the battles of your life on your own. But if you belong to God, he is a warrior and he defends his own. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 1 verses 29 to 32, listen to what the scripture says. This is Moses talking to the people about the Amorites who they're now going to face on their journey of freedom. Then I said to you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. Remember? Before your very eyes and in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. One of the names of God is Jehovah Sabaoth, which actually means Lord of hosts, Lord of armies, a title that is used to reference God 285 times in the Old Testament. And throughout the Bible, as you've read the Word of God, you will see that God opposes the enemies of His people. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Demonstrated no greater way than at the cross and the empty tomb. Where Christ triumphed over our greatest enemies, sin and death. And in Revelation, we read that He will return to triumph over Satan. Jesus, who is God, is both the Lamb, which we're going to celebrate today, who died for our sins, but he will also return as the Lion who judges sin. And one day, he will ride forth to conquer all his enemies. What a day that is going to be. I guarantee wherever we are that day, we will be singing. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be singing. So if you don't like singing, get used to it now. This is pre-training for eternity. So take comfort in knowing who God is. He is Lord. He is highly exalted. He is your strength, your defense, your salvation. And he is a warrior who fights on behalf of his own, as was evidenced with the Israelites against the Egyptians during their exodus at the Red Sea. The Israelites' victory that day, as we read, you could tell from God's word, was clearly God's victory. They did nothing but have to go. And it was a glorious victory, wasn't it? I mean, Pharaoh's chariots and the Egyptian army were thrown into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers drowned. They sank like stones to the depths of the Red Sea. In verse 10, it says they sank like lead. 
This caught my attention this week. Isn't it ironic? In Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh had ordered the Jewish baby boys to be drowned. And here, as God fights for his people, we see the Egyptian men drown. God is not only praised for rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt, but something more specific, namely, destroying completely the Egyptian army in the sea. You see, our warrior not only rescues his own, but he destroys our enemies. He not only rescues his own, he destroys our enemies. Sin and death have been defeated, and one day, Satan too will be completely defeated. So what should we do? Give him all praise and glory. Give him all praise and glory because he alone deserves it. Look at the second stanza with me, verses 6 through 10. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Victory belongs to the Lord, but secondly here we notice the, ma the Lord's majesty and power unmatched. The Lord's majesty and power unmatched. And here in the second stanza we see Moses using human characteristics to describe God's divine attributes. In this stanza there is powerful imagery that Moses has used as the Holy Spirit carried him along. And we should not think that the ancient writers were any less capable at using such imagery as writers of our day are. What does Moses do? He sings that his right hand was majestic. Majestic meaning awe-inspiring. Awe-inspiring in power. And the greatness of his majesty, what did he do? He simply throws his opponents down. His righteous anger consumes them like fire eats up stubble. No one can stand against the power of our God. Our Lord's majesty and power are unmatched. The wind blew back the waters and congealed them so they stood like a wall so the Israelites could walk through on dry ground is compared to the Lord simply breathing through his nostrils. Boom. The waters are separated. And when the overconfident Egyptian soldiers thought to catch up with the Jews, God simply breathed. And waters returned and the army was drowned. Highlighting in verse 8, God's dominion over creation. And he uses it for his purpose. Yes, the parting of the Red Sea was miraculous. It was the result of a strong east wind, as we read, orchestrated by the God of creation. And God's snorting is a poetic way of communicating this message. He has dominion over his creation and uses it for his purposes. As one author wrote, to call the wind a nostril blast is to say that the wind is his. Do you remember Mark chapter 4 verse 19 when the disciples were in the boat and there was a wicked storm came by and they were afraid they were going to die and what was Jesus doing? Having a cat nap. 
He was a regular man just like the rest of us. He was having a cat nap and they were so afraid. God, are you not worried about us? We're going to die. And they woke him up and what did Jesus do? He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down. And listen to this. It was completely calm. You might be in a hopeless situation today in turbulent water. Our God, the Lord's majesty and his power unmatched, can take your situation and make it completely calm. What a mighty God we serve. And the contrast in verse 9 and 10 is startling. God had merely to do one thing, blow his breath, and it was all over. You can begin to sense in these lyrics as we're reading through them an intimacy with the Lord that the Israelites had not felt previously. Often, like the Israelites, when we are faced with a situation where there's nothing we can do but trust in God, say amen if you realize in those situations you discovered a deeper intimacy with God. Last night, Hannah Francois was at our house and I was talking to her about what I'm sharing today. And I was actually encouraging her through God's word. And she said, you know what, Kelvin? I can honestly say that. Since Dwayne has gone to be home with his Lord and Savior, there's a new intimacy that I feel with God. That day at the Red Sea, they experienced a sense of his personal reality that they did not have before. As one author said, if God cannot be known personally, if he does not take a personal interest in each of our lives, then the world is a very, very dark place and we are wasting our time here this morning. But the fact is, he does. He does take such an interest. And that means in the end, there is nothing in this world that can finally conquer you and I. Therefore, do not be afraid. The Lord's majesty and his power are unmatched. So what do we do? Dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Because the Lord's majesty and power are unmatched. That's where we need to stay. Dwell and abide there. Third stanza. Two verses. I could have sung this one as a solo. It's only two verses. I could remember that. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. Through the ten plagues that he sent on Egypt, the Lord had already proved himself greater than the gods and the goddesses of Egypt. It is no wonder that when the people crossed victoriously, they sang, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? These words are echoed in Psalm 86, verse 8. Listen, among the gods, there is no one like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. Psalms 89, 6, for who is in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? And the answer is nobody. That sounds like that furniture store in Toronto, Mel Lastman. <laughs> who is like the Lord? Nobody. Nobody. For there is no one like our God, who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Have you been experiencing the wonderful workings of God in your life recently? I sure hope you have, because that's who he is. There's no one like Yahweh. 
This is why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord commanded, listen, Moses to teach his people essentially what became their confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The intent of these words, which were to be recited two times daily, gave a clear statement of the truth of monotheism. Monotheism is the doctrine or belief that there's only one true God. So if someone asks you, you want to impress them with a big word this week, say, I'm a monotheist. They're like, wow, that's impressive. It's the doctrine that there's only one true God. And the word used here for one means unity. So while this verse was intended as a clear and concise statement of monotheism, it did not exclude the reality of the triune nature of our God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was really important for his people to recite this daily because his people were coming out of a culture in Egypt that was very polytheistic. Belief that there's more than one true God. We live in a very polytheistic country. And it was important for his people to daily remind themselves there's only one true God. He is incomparable and utterly unique. He is holy, set apart, exalted, and anyone or anything that exists itself against him is doomed to failure. Do things exist that people call gods? Absolutely. You can name them. Are they in any way comparable to Yahweh? Absolutely not. The God we serve is incomparable and utterly unique. So what do we do? Love him. Love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Hear, O Calvary Baptist Church, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Finally, the last stanza, his unfailing love and strength can be trusted. Isn't that good news? His unfailing love and strength can be trusted. Read with me 13 through 18. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. In this final stanza, we see two consequences and a final conclusion related to the miraculous exodus that would help his people as they move forward in their new season of freedom. And the first consequence we see is in verse 13, and that is that they can trust God will lead and guide those he has redeemed. That is such good news. If you're concerned about making a big decision, young people, you're not sure. My wife was talking to Natalie in Indiana last night, and she's talking about, Lord, how do, how do I understand Natalie, young people, older people, God will lead and guide those he has redeemed. He will. 
That's been my testimony. You can ask anyone around you. That is their testimony. And in verse 13, he says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. This reference to God's redemption points back to what he promised in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 6. Listen. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by name, the Lord... I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Redeem. To reacquire. To buy back to oneself. God's deliverance that day highlighted He again is sovereign over our salvation. God was not acting arbitrarily in all of this. He was working out His sovereign purposes for His people. Leading His people through His unfailing love. He purchased Israel and they are His people. He displayed his unfailing love in this great deliverance. A passionate, undeserving loyalty to his people. Why? Merely because he had compassion on their suffering? Well, yes, he heard their cry and responded. But there's a much more significant, deeper problem. It wasn't just that they were in bondage to their Egyptian slave masters. He understood their problem was that they did not know him. They did not know him. And as sinful humans were alienated from him, he brought them out of Egypt in his strength to guide them to his holy dwelling. He wanted to bring them into Canaan and plant them in their own land, put his sanctuary among his people and dwell with them. This God, this one and only true God, this mighty warrior wants you and I to dwell with him. Commentators have different interpretations of what is meant by God's holy dwelling that we read in verse 13 and 17. Some think Moses was referring to Sinai. Others think he's referring to Canaan and others the Jerusalem temple. I agree with one commentator, Peter Enns, in his commentary, and I think he's onto something. He says, yes, to all those three possibilities being correct. You see, many years later, it would be made clear that God's purpose in delivering his people from Babylon was that the world might one day, like the Israelites, listen, know the joy of living in intimate fellowship with God. Are you enjoying intimate fellowship with God today? That's why he rescued you out of the domain of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of his light so that you might enjoy intimate fellowship with God. And the same point is being made here in this song of victory. Deliverance was a means for the Israelites to enjoy intimate fellowship with God. And this point is seen throughout the book of Exodus. And what is the climax of the book? It is the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle in the center of the Israelite camp at Sinai. But the tabernacle was not to be the only symbol of this reality. In a real sense, the promised land itself was also a sense of this reality. And so was the Jerusalem temple. Here's the main point. 
The main point of his deliverance of his people was so that they may have fellowship with him. As introduced in verse 13. They had been permitted to escape the doomed Egyptian army because God redeemed his people. In order to lead them to his holy dwelling, he is bringing his people out of Egypt in order that they might be present with him. And the presence will be manifest in sacred space. In three forms. Sinai, Cana, and the Jerusalem temple. And today his presence is manifest in our hearts. It's unbelievable. Intimate fellowship with this God who just throws his enemies into the river, blows his nostril, and it's the wind and covers them up. And we have his presence living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. God in his unfailing love will lead you, brothers and sisters, if you are redeemed. In his strength, he will guide you to enjoy intimate fellowship with him. The second consequence of his deliverance and leading those he has redeemed is nations will fear and tremble. Therefore, do not be afraid. Others will recognize the strength of our God. Alma Comont was a friend of ours in Zambia. Him and his wife Sherry and their kids were missionaries in Zambia. Zambia was a very hard place to be a missionary back in the day because there was so much crime. And one night... Well, um, we always call them adults, uncle and aunt. Well, Uncle Almer and Sherry were at the table eating. Robbers broke into their house. Came to the table, put a gun to his head, and said, give us all your money or you'll die. And so he went and collected whatever money he could find, came back to the table, and they did not believe that that was all the money that Uncle Almer had in the home. And so they said, you will die in front of your wife and your kids for lying to us. What did Uncle Almer do at that time? He started to call upon the name of the Lord, whose majesty and power is unmatched. And as that robber was turning his handgun to shoot our missionary friend, it kept clicking and nothing fired. As Uncle Almer just kept saying, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus, I plead protection over my family right now in Jesus' name. What did that robber do? He dropped his gun and he ran because he saw with his own eyes strength of a man named Jesus that prevented his gun from ending Uncle Almer's life. If the might of Egypt was not able to stand against Yahweh's power, how could such people as the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Canaanites stand? Just as the Egyptians had sunken in the waters like stones, so also future enemies would be as lifeless as stones. What God had done at the Red Sea showed that whoever opposes his plans for his people is in a hopeless situation. So don't be afraid. If ever we're in a situation where people oppose the plans of Jesus here in Canada, guess what we're going to see? Unbelievable, cool, miraculous things happen. Because <laughs> that's who God is. And so what's the ultimate conclusion? To be drawn from what God had done in delivering his people through the Red Sea found in this song. It's verse 18. The Lord reigns. He reigns forever and ever. Therefore, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God and he reigns forever and ever. Did you know that John the Apostle 
records in Revelation that he heard God's people in heaven singing, listen, the song of God's servant Moses. That's a long time, number one, on the hit parade. We're now in Revelation. And what, is, what does he hear them singing in heaven? The song of the servant of God, Moses. And the song of the Lamb, Revelation 15.3. A song which is new but as old as the Exodus. You see, folks, there's only one king in heaven and his name is Yahweh. Pharaoh had pretended he was the king, but his pretense was revealed for what it was again and again through the plagues. His pretense had been dealt a death blow at the Red Sea. Pharaoh had dared to challenge Yahweh in a head-to-head -head duel for control of God's people. And the result was not that merely that Yahweh kept his people out of Pharaoh's hand, but he only had to raise his own right hand and all the power of Pharaoh was gone. Could any question remain as to who was the king of the universe? The hands that defeated Pharaoh would create a sanctuary for Yahweh's people and none of the petty kings of the earth had a hope of frustrating his intentions. And today, this morning, we have the privilege to remember and celebrate what this same God, Yahweh, did for us so that we can have safe passage into his glorious presence, being set free from our slavery to sin and escaping his wrath. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This time it wasn't through plagues, but through the shed blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that redemption has been made possible. Christ rescued us from our hopeless situation by laying down his own life. In the song of freedom, we read that his purpose in delivering them was to bring them to his holy dwelling. This is the grand theme of Scripture, brothers and sisters. Even though God has graciously come at various times and ways, most fully in Christ to the place where we live, it has always been His plan that His people, through the work of Christ, eventually join Him eternally where He lives. And so in this song, we see the story of ancient Israel mirrors this grand theme of Scripture. God called them out where they had been born and had been living in Egypt, bound himself to them in covenant at Sinai and Deuteronomy, and then led them to his holy dwelling, Israel, Jerusalem, the temple. The same theme happens through Christ. Yet on a greater and more lasting scale, God calls those who believe in him out of where they have been born and living, dead in our trespasses and sin. Binds us to himself through a new covenant which he established through the shedding of his blood. And by believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he will lead us to his holy dwelling in heaven and the new earth. Praise God. So what should we do? Be confident. Be confident. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Victory belongs to the Lord. His majesty and his power are unmatched. He is uncomparable and, and, and utterly unique. And he will lead and guide those he has redeemed. What a song. For those of you who came in here feeling hopeless today, <laughs> I sure hope he's encouraged you through his word today. 
And as we prepare our hearts and minds to remember and celebrate, let's meditate on what we have learned. Victory belongs to the Lord. I don't need to be afraid. His majesty and his power unmatched. He is incomparable. Utterly unique. And I get to have intimate fellowship with him? Wow. That's incredible. And I can be still and know that he's God because his unfailing love is going to lead me and guide me into his holy dwelling. And so as we prepare to remember and to celebrate the greater exodus, let us sing with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength that the Lord is my salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for carrying Moses through the power of the Holy Spirit to write this song, the first song in the Bible, so that here we sit in 2023, coming in with situations that seem hopeless, but can be reminded through your word of who you are, God, and what you mean to each one of us. And so now as we come to say thank you for making a safe passage for us out of our sins and our trespasses and for delivering us from hostage to sin, freeing us so that we can have intimacy with you, God. Thank you so much. And so we will open our mouths now and we will sing. Lord, you are my salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Isn't freedom wonderful? <laughs> wow. It changes the way I worship now. Freedom is wonderful. And so what do we do? We sing. And we will keep singing. And during the week and on Sundays, we will daily give God the glory. We will dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shelter of the Almighty. We will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And we will be confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus when we will continue to sing a song of freedom. Amen? Amen. I pray your heart is encouraged. Go and rest. No need to worry. Our God, there's no one like him. Have a great day.